Hey sis, welcome back to Girl Goodnight. I'm Return of Lamac, and every Sunday you can relax to binaural beats while I read you a melanated bedtime story. Tap into this show on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. All links will be in the episode description. Submit original work and future episode suggestions to girlgoodnightpodcast at gmail.com. Help your friends sleep in melanated peace. Girl, share the show and show us some love with a five-star rating and review. To highlight the accomplishments of women and celebrate Women's History Month, we will be featuring work from female authors for the month of March. Tonight, we will be reading Little Miss Sophie, written by Alice Dunbar Nelson in 1895. Alice Dunbar Nelson was born in 1875 in New Orleans, Louisiana. She was a poet, journalist, educator, and activist. She graduated from Strait University, which is now known as Dillard University. In 1898, she married the poet Paul Lawrence Dunbar and moved to Washington, D.C. In 1920, she co-edited The Wilmington Advocate and published a literary anthology for Black readers entitled The Dunbar Speaker and Entertainer. She died at the age of 60 in 1935 and later became an honorary member of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. Little Miss Sophie, set in Alice Dunbar Nelson's hometown of New Orleans, Louisiana, is a short story in a collection titled Violets and Other Tales. Miss Sophie is a woman who is struggling to make ends meet. After hearing that her previous husband is facing financial ruin, she decides to help him by returning a family heirloom ring. Now, close your eyes. Take a deep breath and sleep in melanated peace. Little Miss Sophie When Miss Sophie knew consciousness again, the long, faint, swelling notes of the organ were dying away in distant echoes through the great arcs of the silent church, and she was alone, crouching in a little forsaken black heap at the altar of the Virgin. The twinkling taper shone pityingly upon her. The beneficent smile of the white-robed Madonna seemed to whisper comfort. A long gust of chill air swept up the aisles, and Miss Sophie shivered, not from cold, but from nervousness. But darkness was falling, and soon the lights would be lowered and the great massive doors would be closed. So, gathering her thin little cape about her frail shoulders, Miss Sophie hurried out and along the brilliant, noisy streets home. It was a wretched, lonely little room where the cracks let the boisterous wind whistle through and the smoky, grimy walls looked cheerless and unhomelike. A miserable little room in a miserable little cottage and one of the squalid streets of the third district that nature and the city fathers seemed to have forgotten. As bare and comfortless as the room was Miss Sophie's life. She rented these four walls from an unkempt little Creole woman whose progeny seemed like the promised offspring of Abraham. 
She scarcely kept the flickering life in her pale little body by the unceasing toil of a pair of bony hands stitching, stitching ceaselessly, wearingly on the bands and pockets of trousers. It was her bread, this monotonous, unending work, and though whole days and nights constant labor brought but the most meager recompense, it was her only hope of life. She sat before the little charcoal brazier and warmed her transparent needle prick fingers, thinking meanwhile of the strange events of the day. She had been up to town to carry the great black bundle of coarse pants and vests to the factory and to receive her small pittance, and on the way home, stopped in at the Jesuit church to say her little prayer at the altar of the calm white virgin. There had been a wondrous burst of music from the great organ as she knelt there, an overpowering perfume of many flowers, the glittering dazzle of many lights, and the dainty frou-frou made by the silken skirts of wedding guests. So Miss Sophie stayed to the wedding, for what feminine heart, be it ever so old and seared, does not delight in one? And why should not a poor little Creole old maid be interested too? Then the wedding party had filed in solemnly to the rolling, swelling tones of the organ. Important-looking groomsmen, dainty, fluffy, white-robed maids, stately, satin-robed, illusion-veiled bride, and happy groom. She leaned forward to catch a better glimpse of their faces. Ah, those near the virgin's altar who heard a faint sigh and rustle on the steps glanced curiously as they saw a slight, black-robed figure clutching the rail and lean her head against it. Miss Sophie had fainted. I must have been hungry, she mused over the cold fire in her little room. I must have been hungry. And she smiled a wan smile and busied herself getting her evening meal of coffee and bread and ham. If one were given to pity, the first thought that would rush to one's lips at the sight of Miss Sophie would have been, poor little woman. She had come among the bareness and sordidness of this neighborhood five years ago, robed in crepe and crying with great sobs that seemed to shake the vitality out of her. Perfectly silent, too, she was about her former life. But for all that, Michael, the courty grocer at the corner, and Madame Laurent, who kept the rab shop opposite, had fixed it all up between them of her sad history and past glories. Not that they knew, but then Michael must invent something when the neighbors came to him as their fountainhead of wisdom. One morning, little Miss Sophie opened her wide, dingy windows to catch the early freshness of the autumn wind as it whistled through the yellow leaf trees. It was one of those calm, blue-misted, balmy November days that New Orleans can have when all the rest of the country is fur-wrapped. Miss Sophie pulled her machine to the window where the sweet, damp wind could whisk among her black locks. Whirr, whirr, went the machine, ticking fast and lightly over the belts of the rough jean pants. Whirr, whirr, yes, and Miss Sophie was actually humming a tune. She felt strangely light today. My boy, 
muttered Michael, strolling across the street to where Madame Laurence sat sewing behind the counter on blue and brown checked aprons. But the little mademoiselle sings. Perhaps she recollects. Perhaps, muttered the robbed woman. But little Miss Sophie felt restless. A strange impulse seemed drawing her uptown, and the machine seemed to run slow, slow before it would stitch all of the endless number of jean belts. Her fingers trembled with nervous haste as she pinned up the unwieldy black bundle of her finished work, and her feet fairly tripped over each other in their eagerness to get to Claiborne Street, where she could board the uptown car. There was a feverish desire to go somewhere, a sense of elation, a foolish happiness that brought a faint echo of color into her pinched cheeks. She wondered why. No one noticed her in the car. Passengers on the Claiborne line are too much accustomed to frail little black robed women with big black bundles. It is one of the city's most pitiful sights. She leaned her head out of the window to catch a glimpse of the oleanders on Bayou Road when her attention was caught by a conversation in the car. Yes, it's too bad for Neil, and lately married too, said the elder man. I can't see what he is to do. Neil? She pricked up her ears. That was the name of the groom in the Jesuit church. How did it happen? Languidly inquired the younger. He was a stranger, evidently, a stranger with a high regard for the faultlessness of male attire. Well, the firm failed first. He didn't mind that much. He was so sure of his uncle's inheritance repairing his lost fortunes. But suddenly, this difficulty of identification springs up, and he is literally on the verge of ruin. Won't some of you fellows who've known him all your lives do to identify him? Gracious man, we've tried, but the absurd old will expressly stipulates that he shall be known only by a certain quaint Roman ring, and unless he has it, no identification, no fortune. He has given the ring away, and that settles it. Well, you're all chumps. Why doesn't he get the ring from the owner? Easily said... But it seems that Neil had some little Creole love affair some years ago and gave this ring to his dusky-eyed fiance. You know how Neil is with his love affairs, went off and forgot the girl in a month. It seems, however, she took it to heart, so much so that he's ashamed to try to find her or the ring. Miss Sophie heard no more as she gazed out into the dusty grass. There were tears in her eyes, hot blinding ones that wouldn't drop for pride but stayed and scalded. She knew the story with all its embellishments of heartache. She knew the ring too. She remembered the day she had kissed and wept and fondled it until it seemed her heart must burst under its load of grief before she took it to the pawnbrokers that another might be eased before the end came. That other, her father. The little Creole love affair of Neil's had not always been poor and old and jaded looking, but reverses must come, even Neil knew that, so the ring was at the Mont de Pete. Still, he must have it. It was his. 
It would save him from disgrace and suffering and bringing the white gowned bride into sorrow. He must have it, but how? There it was still at the pawnbroker's. No one would have such an odd jewel and the ticket was home in the bureau drawer. Well, he must have it. She might starve in the attempt. Such a thing as going to him and telling him that he might redeem it was an impossibility. That good, straight-backed, stiff-necked Creole blood would have risen in all its strength and choked her. No, as a present had the quaint Roman circlet been placed upon her finger, as a present it should be returned. The bumping car rode slowly, and the hot thoughts beat heavily in her poor little head. He must have the ring, but how? The ring, the Roman ring, the white robe bride starving. She was going mad. Ah, yes, the church. There it was, right in the busiest, most bustling part of the town, its fresco and bronze and iron quaintly suggestive of medieval times. Within, it was all cool and dim and restful, with the faintest whiff of lingering incense rising and pervading the gray arches. Yes, the virgin would know and have pity, the sweet, bright-robed virgin at the pretty flower-decked altar, or the one away up in the niche, far above the golden dome where the host was. Tatish, the busybody of the house, noticed that Miss Sophie's bundle was larger than usual that afternoon. Ah, poor woman, sighed Tatisha's mother. She would be rich for Christmas. The bundle grew larger each day and Miss Sophie grew smaller. The damp cold rain and mist closed the white curtain window while always there behind the sewing machine drooped and bobbed the little black robed figure. Whirr, whirr went the wheels and the coarse jean pants piled in great heaps at her side. The Claiborne Street car saw her oftener than before, and the sweet white virgin in the flowered niche above the gold domed altar smiled at the little supplicant almost every day. My foot, said the slanternly landlady to Madame Laurent and Michael one day. I know see how she live. Eat? Nothing. Nothing. Almost and last night when it was so cold and foggy, eh? to make him build fire. She must freeze. Whereupon the rumors spread that Miss Sophie was starving herself to death to get some luckless relative out of jail for Christmas, a rumor which enveloped her scraggly little figure with a kind of halo to the neighbors when she appeared on the streets. November had merged into December and the little piles of coins was yet far from the sum needed. Dear God, how the money did have to go. The rent and the groceries and the coal, though, to be sure, she used a precious bit of that. Would all the work and saving and skimping do good? Maybe, yes, maybe by Christmas. Christmas Eve on Royale Street is no place for a weekly, for the shouts and carousels of the Roysters will strike fear into the bravest ones. Yet, amid the cries and yells, the deafening blow of horns and tin whistles, and the really dangerous fusillade of the fireworks, a little figure hurried along, 
one hand clutching tightly the battered hat that the rude merrymakers had torn off, the other grasping under the thin black cape a little worn pocketbook. Into the Mont de Pete she ran breathless, eager. The ticket? Here, worn and crumpled. The ring? It was not gone? No, thank heaven. It was a joy well worth her toil, she thought, to have it again. Had Tatish not been shooting crackers on the banquette instead of peering into the crack, as was his wont, his big, round black eyes would have grown saucer-wide to see little Miss Sophie kiss and fondle a ring, an ugly, clumsy band of gold. Ah, dear ring, she murmured. Once you were his, and you shall be his again. You shall be on his finger, and perhaps touch his heart. Dear ring, ma chérie petite de ma cour, chérie de ma cour, je t'aime, je t'aime, oui, oui. You are his, you were mine once too. Tonight, just one night, I'll keep you. Then tomorrow, you shall go where you can save him. The loud whistles and horns of the little ones rose on the balmy air the next morning. No one would doubt it was Christmas Day, even if doors and windows were open wide to let in cool air. Why, there was a Christmas even in the very look of the mules on the pokey cars. There was Christmas noise in the streets, and Christmas toys and Christmas odors, savory ones that made the nose wrinkle approvingly, issuing from the kitchen. Michael and Madame Laurent smiled greetings across the street at each other, and the salutation from a passerby recalled the mini progeny landlady to herself. Miss Sophie? Well, poor soul, not very much Christmas for her. I'll just call him in for to spend the day with me. It'll cheer her up a bit. It was so clean and orderly within the poor little room. Not a speck of dust or a litter of any kind on the quaint little old-time high bureau unless you might accept a sheet of paper lying loose with something written on it. Tatish had evidently inherited his prying propensities for the landlady turned it over and read, Louise. Here is the ring. I return it to you. I heard you needed it. I hope it comes not too late. Sophie. The ring? Where? muttered the landlady. There it was, clasped between her fingers on her bosom. A bosom white and cold under a cold, happy face. Christmas had indeed dawned for Miss Sophie. Are you still up? Girl, good night. American Giant makes great clothing, sweatshirts, jeans, and more right here in the U.S. Visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order with code STAPLE20. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com, code STAPLE20.